You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 34 of Leaf Sky. Jim Taddy with you. We've got a long show today, about 40 minutes worth. Nice conversation with former Leaf Gary Lehman. And we welcome into the Leaf Sky Podcast for the first time, David Alter from the Hockey News. As he updates us on the Leafs as they get set to conclude their Montreal part of the regular season with a game at home to the Habs on Saturday night. Before we get there, the hits literally keep on coming from one boxing event to the next. They grow in excitement and anticipation. And this weekend is no different with two of the sport's most respected fighters stepping into the ring Saturday night. There is no better place to get in on all the action than the DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering all new users a shot at turning $1 into $55. To celebrate this weekend's huge event, DraftKings Sportsbook offering new users the opportunity to get 55-1 to 1 odds on either main event fighter to win this weekend's fight. That's $1, and if the fighter of your choice wins, you win 55 bucks. Plus, with basketball and hockey playoffs right around the corner, DraftKings Sportsbook has even more ways for you to make it rain. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable, meaning you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So, ladies and gentlemen, here's the call to action. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the code THPN when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can bet $1 to win $55 on this weekend's main event. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out for new users by offering them the chance to win $55 when placing a bet of $1 on this weekend's big fight only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. And gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, let's get to the hockey story. One reference point this week, Thursday night, Toronto 5, Montreal 2. It's 4 nothing before the game is a period old, so that's the score at the end of the first period. Toronto 4, Montreal nothing. And from there, the Habs tried to get back in the game physically. They removed the starting goaltender, Caden Primo, went with Jake Allen, who had struggled the night before against Ottawa, and suddenly that Habs run turns into a reversal. Bad loss in Ottawa, and the next night, bad loss in Toronto. Here's the only thing I can pull out of this game. It's 4 nothing. It becomes 4-1 after 40 minutes of play. And then early in the third, it becomes 4-2. Yes, yes, guy, we've been there many times before with the 4-1 lead that gets dissipated and evaporates. And so after it goes to 4-2, Galchenya takes a penalty, and you're thinking, yes, I've seen that movie before. But a director's cut, they did not play the movie. The Leafs actually smartened up, killed off the penalty, and started to take the game back. In fact, at 15:41, Austin Matthews scored his 40th of the season, and seconds before, he had almost scored his 40th, but then, of course, he atoned for that and got the goal. The reason I'm saying that is, is when Austin Matthews hopped over the boards, and it was 4-2, you knew he was going to decide the issue, and he did. So 40 goals in 49 games, that is a 67-goal pace. So here are the positives from that game. 4-0 lead becomes 4-2, and then all of a sudden the Leafs win 5-2 on Austin Matthews on a 67-goal pace. These are things that didn't happen before, and these are some of the things that we're going to explore with our expert guests. Let's start with our first bit of analysis and welcome in David Alter from the Hockey News. Okay, David, let's go back to uh, the Thursday night game against Montreal. Not much to analyze there with the 4 nothing first period lead, but what is noteworthy is it was 4-1 going into the third, and there are plenty of reference points about misdeeds happening there, and even though it became 4-2, I thought they really did a nice job after it was 4-2. Yeah, they were, they were kind of pushing the pace there. There were a couple of opportunities for Montreal to kind of make a game of it, as you mentioned, but um, I think when you look at the scoring opportunities Toronto generated, Muzzin hitting a crossbar, Matthews almost converting before he actually did end up converting and putting the game away. It was clear who was the number one seed and who was the number four seed in this North division. And, and uh, I think a, a very encouraging thing for the Leafs as well 
is that this is their third or fourth last game of the season, and they're continuing to push the pace, even though they pretty much got the division locked up. So they're not resting on their laurels. They're trying to continue to play to a certain identity, and that bodes well for evaluating this team as if they're really different or not than previous years. Yeah, I know it's they're in a sort of a limbo area. They're, they're like an inch away from clinching the division title. Uh, having said that, uh, they've got Montreal on Saturday night, and then um, Ottawa and Winnipeg, which should be meaningless games. And and you just there's there's sort of a, a double edged sword here. You want them to to have a, a certain compete level, but you also want them to get through it healthy. It's I mean, many teams have been there before. Sometimes it can be a disaster. It's precarious, isn't it? It is, but I think they'll they'll gladly take those risks, knowing they can happen everywhere over complacency any day, because they don't they really don't want to make excuses for themselves, and you know they're still going to ask their players even in these next couple of regular season games due to things that put you at risk like block shots, like you got to get in there, you got to continue to play the way you were playing, because if you start to take your foot off the gas just a little bit that can kind of creep back into your mindset when the game matters it's not a quick okay flip the switch and and i can turn it back on again for a lot of players it's not it's repetition it's continuing to put their foot down on the throttle and uh look they the leafs use their cap to load up on depth so any sort of injuries if there are any uh from from a mild standpoint there's there's guys who can step in and they've shown they can play to that spot and there isn't a huge drop off. Obviously if a star goes down, they may, they may get hurt by that. But I mean, you, you have to take that risk. I think if you start telling players don't play this certain way, then uh, I, I really do think that bad habits can creep in. So an opportunity cost for sure, but I think they have to, they have to continue to do that with the risks that are always out there. Yeah, I think we can afford now to look back over the entire season because it's close to the end. And as I said when when uh, I talked to you the first time, the first question, I'm talking about that 4-1 lead, which was a disaster in the past. And, and so many times during the course of the year, we've seen them come up to that point that was in the past a disaster, and it doesn't happen again. They work through it. This team is, is not last year's Leafs or the year before or the year before, are they? No, they aren't. And, you know, there's a lot of things and a lot of reasons as to why that's the case. I mean, when the Leafs went into the season with the division being how it is and the Canadian opponents and a lot of people were looking at the standings and thinking, oh, well, this should be this should be a breeze for them. You know, if they played the old way, maybe they do still win the division. But I think they use that opportunity to work on some things defensively and a lot of deficiencies in their game that maybe, you know, they wouldn't get the positive reinforcement with good results if they had to play teams like Boston and Tampa, do the right things but lose the players may not necessarily want to buy into that if they're not seeing the results in the win column, right? So so I think what's happened here is they, they had such an opportunity to work on a lot of their deficiencies, a lot of back-checking, a lot of carrying the puck all the way and being aggressive on the forecheck and doing it while you can make mistakes and, and maybe they don't burn you as badly as they might have in previous years. And guys came in more more professional, more more mature, and and uh, all of the summation of all those parts set them up beautifully for where they are right now. So um, the playoffs are a different thing, but for at least two rounds, it's going to be familiar opponents. And there's no reason why they can't continue to play that style of game and continue to see the positive benefits from that. What's the best part of this for you? For me, it's uh, you know doing the, the games on TSN 1050 that were an area of concerns that we used to dwell on in the past. Now it's the power play, and that's, and that's the end of the concerns, really. Everything else has an answer to it or, or an A, B, or a C. I mean, there's many options, and it works out. For me, it's just the power play. Uh, what, what is it for you? Uh, for, from a concern standpoint, I think the goaltending is still a bit of a question mark. I mean, Jack Campbell has been great in, in the games that he's played. Uh, Frederick Anderson's been getting some conditioning time now, and it looks like they may try to get him in for a regular season game based on some cap maneuvering. But I still think that's a question. I think when you look at some of these other teams in the North Division, there are goaltenders that have a longer track record that, if healthy, can steal a few games. And it's going to be up to the Leafs to make sure they don't steal enough games. So I think that's a that's a big question mark. Also, you know, the, the playoff intensity is different, 
And and uh, I just I don't know how we're gonna feel that when the crowds are still gonna be empty. You know, yeah. it's it's one of those things where you know when you're in a you've been in a building for a playoff game, you can feel that energy from the crowd. Like I yeah. remember one game against the Bruins. I think it was game five, game six when the Bruins had a the Leafs were leading the Bruins in 2019, three to two, and when the horn sounded for the end of the warm up, you had the crowd cheering, which you never hear. Like just little things like that that get people amped up. That's my concern. There is are, are the Leafs really going to feel like it's playoff time when you go into the building? And you don't have the same kind of hype jump to the step. Like what are what are going to be the things that the team does to hype themselves up that allow them to to ratchet up the intensity? That's going to be a real question for me because apart from home ice advantage for that last line change, it's not really going to really have that same cachet this unfortunately with everything that's gone on so those are those are a couple of concerns but apart from that like i think i think uh as long as they continue to do what they do and not get caught up in the moment they should be they should cruise uh we'll, we'll see yeah i mean they, they really took care of business this year they answered a lot of question marks didn't they yeah there was the there really was the question of um is the defense, the top pair defense going to be much improved? Are they, is TJ Brody really the answer to kind of stabilize that, that top pair? And, and really like there's, I, I can't count on my hand how many times TJ Brody's made a mistake this season. It's really, he really hasn't been noticeable and that's exactly what they wanted from him. And he's, he's stabilized uh, a pincher like Morgan Riley, who can take chances, contribute offensively and not get caught as much as maybe he had been, in previous years. So I think that's a big one. Um, I think um, the, the, the way they play physically was always a question, right? They, they tried to model Tampa this year by acquiring veterans that just have a little bit more of an aggressive attitude that can really start throwing their body around when these games start to matter later in the season and, and, um, and the template for what's called and what isn't called changes. And so I think they showed that, in those games against Winnipeg, when they were starting to get called dirty, that was exactly what the Leafs needed. No <laughs> one has ever accused the Leafs of being dirty. And, and for them to get that stigma, it was almost like Toronto was playing the Boston role uh, of previous years. And and uh, I think that's a huge positive sign because when it comes to the playoffs, there's going to be a lot that gets let go. And I think the Leafs have learned the psychology of that from the veterans that have instilled that in them, that they're going to know how to, to play the politics of, of the officiating that goes into to a playoffs maybe than they have in better years. Yeah, I, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. That Those two games in Winnipeg were, were interesting just because of how the Jets behaved, which I thought was out of character. And so they were concerned about the roughness of the Leafs. Uh, Hellebuck had a, had a bad game in, in game one. And, um, and I guess in game two, uh, he got burned on a couple of situations. But, but these were strengths. I mean, to me, Winnipeg was the best team rolling the four lines against the Leafs of anybody. And their goaltending was pretty good. And all of a sudden, major cracks in both issues. Yeah, and it was it was really just kind of getting under the skin and getting into the grill of Hellebuck. What do they say when a goaltender is hot? How do you try and get him off his game? Get just get in front of him, start to uh, aggravate him and, and get him under his skin. So I think they did a really good job of that, and kind of everyone went on tilt on the Jets right after. So it, it really is a, it's a mindset change when the when the trade deadline ends, it seems to be like the players really turn on another gear because they know they're here for real. They don't yep. have to worry about what moves may or may not happen. So they can just kind of, you know, get off to the races. And I think you saw that right after that Montreal game in early April, that the Leafs started to throw their body around more. They started to, you know, yap at the officials a bit more just to kind of, you know, make their point without going overboard so that they can, they can kind of, figure out the psychology of what's going on. And I think that's such a big part of what the Leafs were missing in previous years. Uh, remember a, a couple of years ago when Nazem Kadri got that suspension, the second one, and he yeah. actually got like a really vicious hit from Jake DeBrusque that wasn't called before. So it was a retaliation thing, but the Bruins played that politically perfect. They knew how to get under the Leafs skin and make them do something dumb and, and they won that series as a result of it, you know, taking out one of their more aggressive players. And so I think the Leafs have learned from that, that they've got to have, you know, guys who can kind of teach them the way, like 
Joe Thornton knows exactly what to do in those situations uh, to tell to tell the skilled guys, hey, don't do it here. You know, jab them this time here. The refs won't call that, and then they'll get mad and they may retaliate and they'll call them. So, so that that's really that's really been the difference, and that that's what Kyle Dubas keyed on, which was, you know, get get these guys who can be a little bit more aggressive to complement. Uh, the offense that you've always had, you just you needed the defense and you needed the uh, the aggression, and I think they they improved on both of those fronts. I don't think there's any argument that when the Leafs are totally healthy, it's an awesome roster. It's pretty darn good without some of the guys, but when it's healthy, it's totally uh, it's it's awesome. So let me ask you about a couple of injuries. Uh, you know, the Bogosian uh, one is on a longer track, and the Anderson one is is coming to an end. But I, I'm concerned about Felino, Nash, and Hyman. What can you tell us about those three guys? So Felino skated before practice began on Friday. So that was a good sign. Uh, so it doesn't seem to be anything long-term. I thought it was a bit of a concern for Felino because I was in Montreal for that. Not the game that he got hurt in. Well, I was in for both. But the first one, I noticed he was kind of stretching his hip area on the bench after he kind of fell under his own foot. And right. um, didn't quite look the same. And then he was one of the three players that took the day off the next day for maintenance, which for a guy who's only played three games after having to sit out two weeks, a maintenance day is probably not something he wanted, but was probably needed because of how banged up he was. So when he got hurt just by skating to the Montreal net on a hard stop, it meant, you know what, this thing is lingering. Just get it right. Like, don't don't put yourself at risk. I know you want to pick up things because you haven't been here, but uh, he's no good to them hurt. So so um, the fact that he's skating and managing that, I think, bodes well that he'll probably be back in time for the playoffs. Maybe he gets one game in, depending on how the health is. Uh, Hyman and, and Riley are still in non-contact jerseys with a week to go, which suggests to me that they probably won't be back for the regular season. And with Anderson playing another, with Anderson playing another full game with the Marlies and Sandine being held out of the lineup, uh, for the next game with what Sheldon Keefe calls cap maneuvering and anticipation. It, it's certainly looking like they may try to get Anderson a regular season game by taking uh, by taking Sandine off the roster, which they can, yeah. and uh, and then act and then putting um, Hyman on the LTI, which would give them enough cap space to activate Anderson before the playoffs when the salary cap isn't uh, a factor. So, that's that's what it looks like right now in terms of the healthy guys. But uh, they're both the two non-contact guys are, are trending towards coming back. But I think they, they probably just wait until the regular season. They can go on conditioning since with the Marlies as well. There's nothing to stop them from doing that. And many people have told me that those conditioning stints better serve players than they do goaltending because the level of skill that a goalie is going to face in an NHL game is nothing compared to an NHL game and, and Anderson really does need to get at least one if he's going to get any reps as an option for the playoffs. Okay, David, I don't know if you have your seatbelt fastened, but we're going to play yes guy, no guy. You ready for this? Yes. Okay, guy. ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, time now for the Leafs guy, official edition of yes guy, no guy. Yes guy, no guy, number one. The Leafs power play has the ability to cost the team in the playoffs. Uh, yes guy. Hmm. It's scary, isn't it? I, I would normally say no, but there, there's going to be situations where there's there's been regular season games where where it has cost them the difference. That last game in Montreal, they had opportunities. They could have put Montreal away earlier, and they didn't. And um, I think special teams in general could be the could be an issue for them. Okay, yes, guy, no guy, number two. The goaltending scares you slightly. Yes, guy. I just yeah. think that uh, with Anderson not a hundred percent and and the lack of reps combined with Campbell's ability to kind of not necessarily bounce back great if his confidence is shattered in any way gives me a little bit of concern that momentum can, can flip on a switch if things go right. Yeah, I mean you like Campbell, but uh, you know if he had to play uh, seven games in a row in a playoff series, I'm not I'm not sold on that part. Are you? I mean, I think he could. Like, there's been many times where our goalies who just never really seem to realize it pick up their game in the playoffs once given an opportunity. And even though they've had no past track record, they've just they've lived in the moment. And if, 
there's one thing Campbell's done this season is he's been able to live in the moment and, and rattle off wins. So um, it's just the whole regression to the mean. Has he used it up too early or, or does he have another one? Left so that, that still remains to be seen. Okay. Yes, guy, no guy. The bottom six forwards of the Leafs team are actually a strength of the team. Yes, guy. Uh, I think that um, there's going to be so much changing around there. And a lot of times you don't even know who the third or fourth line is because of because of players that have mixed in and around. Like Thornton was a third liner, but not really a fourth, third liner because he's playing on the fourth line, but he's also playing with Spezza and with Brooks and sometimes Kerfoot's been in there. That the third line and the fourth line are so interchangeable that there really are two third lines, which which yeah. uh, is a huge luxury for them. So yes, guy, for them. Okay, final yes, guy, no guy of this particular podcast. Yes, guy, no guy. The five-six pairing on the blue line without Pagosian bothers you a bit. No, guy. I think Sandine has stepped in really well in that spot. I mean, having Bogosian's playoff experience will definitely help, but I think he's 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 already improved that back end so much by his presence throughout the regular season. He seems to have improved Dermott's game a lot. I think um, I think there's guys that they've brought in like Ben Hutton who can play in that spot too and be the aggressor, but also can contribute offensively. That um, I don't I don't think that it's it's as much of a concern. And also I've gone I've gone three yes guys as well, so it would have <laughs> been it would have been hard to do the sweep. So um, <laughs> I, I think it's a no guy just in that spot, even though Bogosian has been a, a huge part of the team this season. Great, David. Thanks very much. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And down the hall we go, and we'll open the door to the Leafs Guy Time Tunnel. We go back into the 80s, Gary Lehman. Okay, Gary, let's go way back to 1982. You're drafted in the second round, and you're a defenseman in junior hockey. Much like later on, Wendell was a defenseman. You didn't have much trouble becoming a forward, did you? Well, I actually did. I mean, it took three years for them to decide I was going to be a forward, but... um... You know, uh, 1982, uh, I was still in Regina playing playing uh, with the Pats. And um, uh, the day I was drafted, I had my uh, jaw wired shut uh, from uh, a, a body check that I took uh, in the semifinals. Uh, and uh, I had to uh, listen to the draft on the radio. Huh. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was an interesting time. It was fun for me to be drafted uh, back to my hometown. I had left uh, when I was 15 years old to go to Notre Dame in Saskatchewan, uh, played two years midget there, and and then I was uh, I was uh, that was my third. So my my draft year was my third year away from home. So I was I was actually ready to go uh, go home. You know, you lose touch with your family and friends. So for me i didn't really understand the, the dysfunction that the maple leafs uh, were at that time i was just happy to have to be drafted to the blue and white yeah so i mean there is a lot of dysfunction then those are not the great years that's for sure those are struggling years for the leafs from top to bottom literally so when you step into that as as a rookie i mean how do you get through that i mean they had to rely on some veterans there but there's constant change and, and upheaval and it was just a bad time wasn't it yeah, like you said, there was a there was a ton of change. Um, you know, we had we had ownership that uh, probably uh, the game had passed by. Um, Mr. Ballard was uh, or Harold uh, was um, he was older, and of course we all know you know he was afflicted with uh, you know um, de- uh, degenerative uh, brain disease and and. Um, you know, I think maybe uh, he should have stepped aside a little bit earlier and it caused probably a lot of chaos where he was still hiring both the GM and the coach and and not really delegating, uh, you know, the the, uh, the position of a general manager to be able to hire his own coach. And, you know, we always saw the conflict. And so that, that created uh, a culture where, you know, as a young guy, you look to the older players and the older players learn that uh, they probably need to just, you know, take care of themselves and, and uh, you know, try and get through this storm. So as a, as a young guy, you know, looking for that leadership, um, you know, there were guys, but as a, as a whole, it was, uh, it was, it was a mess. 
Yeah, I mean, it was uh, pretty obvious that way. Uh, it was volatile is the way I used to describe it. And and then there's, you know, the, the, the Mr. Ballard situation. And then there's, you know, there's this after he, he dies, there's this struggle to take over, which which goes on for a number of years. And, and that didn't help the franchise either, although everybody meant well. It's just, it, you know, if, if the top is, is not stable, the rest can't be either. Oh, exactly. Just like in any business, uh, you know, and. So with with all the changes, uh, you know, there's never a plan. And um, when there's when there's no plan, there's there's, you know, um, you're going into drafts and, and whatnot. You, you, you know, you just maybe draft the best player or, um, you know, I had four general managers in my time in Toronto. So I am pretty sure that the plan didn't get passed on to the next guy. And, uh, you know, and, and also there was never a, and, and I challenge anybody that either played, you know, uh, in the eighties, um, you know, to, to say that there was a, a game plan because there was never a game plan. We, we never, we never learned anything. We got yelled at, we got screamed at, we got skated. Uh, and then, you know, some games our talent would, would uh, uh you know win us games but we were you know we were just uh lost in our own end and 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 then when you know we had the opportunity to to, to just uh play uh i guess offensive um you, you saw the talent but we needed to we needed to learn how to play defense to challenge uh for you know challenge the good teams for any type of shot at winning yeah, so just for everybody's uh, understanding, we're talking about a time when there was a head coach and an assistant coach. Nobody was even doing video, were they? Uh, well, there there actually was. There was some video. Um, video was new. There was a lot of things that were new. I remember this the stat sheet coming down from Stan Abodiak, uh the first time that uh, John Brophy brought it into the into the dressing room, and um, you know. Uh, so, you know, there, there were things that were, uh, that were changing. It was a real interesting time because I had showed up right at the end of kind of old time hockey, old school hockey. And, and that's when, you know, the, the shift was, was to, to probably play with, you know, uh, more talent rather than um, toughness, I guess, or goonery or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, we had a, an owner that just uh, defied uh, that by you know by saying, "I'm never going to have a Russian on my team," you know, and they were as highly skilled as anybody in the world, and and uh, so that would maybe put you at a at a disadvantage, maybe you know, depending yeah. on who it was that you would have ended up getting. But um, we ended up, uh, you know, getting some some talented European guys and, and whatnot, and 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 it was a kind of a tough time to uh, justify it when other teams are still trying to play the old style. So, you know, once in a while you didn't have enough, uh, you know, physical guys in your lineup and you get pushed around a little bit and then you have to go to the minors to, you know, pull up some guys to, you know, send a message. And it, it yeah. was just, yeah, it was, it was just a mess. It's kind of an ad lib situation. Uh, I, as I was talking about the video, that I remembered that on uh, my show, Sportsline, you know, this was when we started that show, that this was the start of satellites. So, you know, it was a highlight show because we could see the games, which nobody else could. Other TV stations could, but, but the individual couldn't. And so we would have uh, Dan Maloney or John Brophy come up and watch games. Uh, from other teams to scout because the gardens did not have a satellite dish on it at that time shortly after they got one but that's how how sort of haphazard the whole system was at the time everything was just starting to get to where we are now yeah yeah and now they've got you know they've got guys that are in the video room like all day long those poor guys are it's like a sweat box i guess in there and uh yeah you you uh, you know, with uh, analytics and all this stuff uh, entering the, the all the, the major leagues, um, it's just it's uh, it's the polar opposite of what, what you know what we had uh, experienced. And so, you know, it was important to 
watch the older guys and to to learn from the older guys and um you know we had uh we had Boria Salming there who was who was great with the guy he was you know his nickname was king and it was for a reason um and you know but but Boria even though we all knew that he was the leader we we also knew that he didn't wear the c and he didn't wear it for a reason because there was still going to be the conflict that he didn't want he wasn't a you know you, you know boria he he, yeah. he wasn't a very confrontational person uh and so he didn't want that that uh, burden of of uh you know having to deal with management and and ownership so you know it was it was a real tough uh time to navigate no matter who you were in the organization you know you always had to wonder what was next because there was always change yeah and you know to just to sort of round out the sea i mean you know i was around when daryl sittler was was removed and when he departed and and that was a, that was a tough day for the franchise when he got traded to philadelphia and and really the you know anybody who wore the c for a number of years was uh, sort of had a target on their back it, it was a it was a tough position to fill that's for sure yeah well like <laughs> what organization gets rid of a daryl sittler a yeah. dave keon you don't let these guys walk i mean they're you know they're guys that had put you know, blood, sweat, they, they put their, their heart into everything that, that they did for that team. Lanny McDonald, you know, you, yeah. you just don't, oh, yeah. you just don't give these guys away. I don't yeah. care how old they are. You, you do the right thing. You build a culture and you, you know, you show the young players that are coming next, what to be like you know, what we expect from you, what we want from you. And these are the guys that paved the way and, you know, respect that and, and respect that that's how we're going to be. But it was, it was, it was a little, it was a little divided, I'd say, uh, you know, depending on who is in control. Yeah, I, you know, I still go back to uh, the word I said, volatile. Even in, as a member of the media, uh, you didn't really know what was going to happen. But if, if there were a, a collection of losses or there was a stumble in the standings, you know that there was potential for anything, really. It was just, it was so volatile that you didn't know what would happen, but you knew something would. And you just sort of crossed your fingers that it would be for the benefit of the franchise. And a lot of times it wasn't, was it? Oh, no, no. Like I said, there was no plan. Uh, you know, they're, they'd, they'd make kind of knee-jerk reactions. <clears throat> you know, if 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 one coach thought that we needed, you know, more toughness, we'd trade Russ Cordell for John Cordick. And, you know, that, that sets you back. Russ was a high draft pick, you know, and it's, it's tough to get high draft picks. And why would you want to do that? Why would you, you know, and, and why would you want to trade Vinny Damfus, Luke Richardson, um, um, Scott, um, oh, uh, <laughs> Thornton. Yeah. Yeah. Scotty Thornton. Yeah. Uh, you know, which were all young guys, high draft picks, uh, for, you know, a goalie that was, was great. He, he had what, three or four more years left. Uh, yeah. Glenn Anderson, who, uh, was probably on the downside of his career. He could still contribute for sure, but there's a reason why the Edmonton Oilers traded Wayne Gretzky and we're trading Grant Fuhrer and we're trading Glenn Anderson. And we scooped them up and we gave away 59 years of service. Hmm. Damfus Richardson played 20 years pro and you know, 90% of that was after the trade. And same with Scotty Thornton, he, he played 18 years pro. So, you know, talk about setting, set, uh, setting an organization back. You know, uh, I think uh, I, I think they would have been in Toronto for as long as they wanted to be. And, uh, you know, the guys that came this way were, were old and, and uh, you know, close to retirement. 
Well, look, you know, I don't know what it was like on the inside. It's different. Like uh, I'm on the outside, but I was at the gardens. Uh, I would go down to training camp because I wanted to see the draft picks, uh, the draft at that point, you know, Vinny Danfus, these are, these are televised draft events. And, and I would go to the draft and I can still remember the first time Vinny Danfus skated as a Maple Leaf. I can't remember who it was, but somebody came up to me and said, ah, he's no good. I said, he just got out on the ice. How do you know that? But that was the negativity in the air. There was just looking for somebody to whip. But I thought, this is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody's an expert in Toronto, you know. Uh, and there's, you know what, uh, along with that, though, there's passion. Um, there's, you know, there's care. There's passion. But it seems like everybody wants to be, you know, that guy that knows everything. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> if there's no plan, how the hell how are you going to know? Like, who's who's going to even survive this year it's it's just it was just so um chaotic and just dysfunctional and and uh but anyhow you had to you had to navigate through it you had to you know you had to um adapt to the new coach uh in which i had eight or nine uh, you know during my time eight and a half years in toronto i had eight or nine i finally had enough i i i you know, I wanted, like I said at the beginning, I, I'd been away from home when I was young, and I wanted to be one of the guys that helped rebuild this because I grew up playing all kinds of sports and winning, and I wanted, uh, that's what I wanted. I didn't give a crap about my stats. I didn't give a crap about anything but winning, and, you know, we had, you know, coaches like Dan Maloney and, and, and uh, John Brophy early in my career, and I liked them because they wanted to win. Yeah, you know, and and so you hope that you're going to learn, you hope that you're going to progress, and you hope that things are going to, you know, you're going to grow, uh, not just as an individual, but you know, as a team, because you you know you you can tell right away how good a team is, and uh, you know, with all the changes, it didn't happen, you know, it it just didn't happen because the game had passed these guys by, they were great guys, they were, um, you know. Uh, but they were a certain type of guy and player, you know, they were, yep. they weren't guys that played my kind of game. You know, they were guys that, that, that were, that were fighters. Like Dan Maloney was as tough as they came and, yep. and broke broke, you know, himself, he was tough and, and he'd do anything out there, you know? Yep. So they, they liked, um, like I, I got a good, I had a good rapport with them uh, because they knew I wanted to win. And I was a guy that really wasn't, I, I wasn't, um, you know, designed to fight. I was, I was designed to compete like crazy. Um, and, and that's why I decided if I wanted to stick around, I had to fight because the culture was, you have to show that you're willing to. Um, and you know that's that's what counts. You you, you got to do that. But you know I I I kind of wish that um, I I stayed as a defenseman. I wanted to play defense. I was having success in junior on defense, and and my kind of game was was sort of like a center half in in soccer where you try to you kind of control the game, and um, that's what it was like for me in junior hockey, and that's what it was like my second year midget playing my first year of defense. And uh, anyhow, they drafted me, you know, as a, um, a, a quarterback for the power play is basically how they put it. And uh, I was, I was fine with that. I was great with that because I, I felt like I could control a game. So, but I, I, I think what happens is they look at what is happening to the, the guys before, uh, you know, I came along right after they had drafted um, Bob McGill, Fred Boymanstruck, Jimmy Benning, and they had thrown them into the fire. Yeah. And I think they decided with me that they weren't going to do that. They don't want to ruin another one, I guess, is kind of how they put it. So I remember being told that I'm going to I'm going to dress for 50 games, which I did my first three years. And the rest of the games, we want you to go to the press box and watch that that's what that that's what i was told to watch and so okay i'm up there eating popcorn with you guys and you know and watching and it's like oh 
pretty good view up here. Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he do that? And it's like, okay, you know, and then you get your chance and, and, um, you know, you, you, you listen to the hype, you know, uh, here's your chance. (laughs) So get out there and go as hard as you can. Well, I mean, you did adjust to being a forward. You had 51 goals. That had to feel good. Yeah, I, I, I produced when I played. I mean, you play me, I'm going to I'm gonna produce. You put me on the fourth line, I'm not going to give you very much, you know. Yeah. It's, it's just the, the, the way it was. And um, <clears throat> but for me, it was a little different because I didn't, I didn't know what position I was going to be. <laughs> so <clears throat> when, I, when I did play, I was playing, I was playing both positions uh, on the go. So for me, it was on-the-job training. It's just, it's kind of laughable now, but I mean, with you and Wendell, if they kept you both on the blue line, you wonder how that would have turned out. Yeah. Um, I, I certainly wanted to stay on the blue line. I, I think, you know, I, I think I would, I, I would have, um, gave them something that they probably didn't have at the time. Um, you know, I, I could skate, uh, I could see the ice pass the by. I love to move the puck. I mean, yeah, I, I might have scored some goals, but I love to move the puck because I love to be creative. So when I moved the puck, I would, you know, I would just either stay where I was because everybody follows the puck and I'm now open. So give it back or, you know, find the find the open ice. And, you know, I think that's what good creative players do. Guys that score, guys that are um, playmakers, they know where the open ice is to get the pass. Uh, and and do something with it so um yeah that that uh i i like i said i I wish i had stayed as a defenseman but i was ready to play any position uh my third year and and john brophy came up to me in in training camp and he said if i make you a a forward can get me 20 goals i said if you play me so we put uh, Russ and Wendell and myself together, formed the Hound Line, and uh, you know we 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 I think we had a little bit of energy because we were young, and you know Wendell's yeah. s- smashing everything out there, and <laughs> Russ was was quick and and uh, exciting, you know. Uh, so yeah, I, I you know if if we had somebody maybe to to uh, teach us how to play defense, we might still be playing together. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, as, as it worked out, that forward line had all the elements that you would expect out of a ver- very good forward line. It had everything. Yeah, everything except what do we do in our own end? You know, you could, yeah. you could tell that there was there was just a, a lack of, of um, you know, not, not communication, just a lack of, of knowledge of, like, what is your job in your, your own end? And you know, from from midget hockey, I learned how important uh, one-on-one uh, hockey was, and how excuse me, how important it was going to be down the road. And so, you know, you just made sure that you didn't get beat one-on-one in your own end, and that's all you basically knew. You know, you there, and then there's the obvious: if there's a breakdown, you have to risk leaving your point man as a winger and and help down low you know and uh so but there was never um there was never any type of uh any type of plan any type of uh, system no no breakout system yeah and you can see it now like you can watch the leafs now and you go they're very very well coached they really are very well coached the structure all the guys are getting they're getting the message um you know Uh, I think Nylander missing the the meeting, uh, you know, a little while ago. I think that was more of a message of, okay, you're missing some assignments also. So we're going to, you know, and and look what happens when, you know, when the coach does the right thing, um, he wakes a guy up and and it's however you want to deliver it, deliver it. And he, he's, he's being responsible now. So, um, that's that's good coaching. That's that's smart uh, d- you know, direction for a guy that's still learning. He's still learning. Like trust me, all the guys are still learning. 
<clears throat> because they're now on a new team. Even the guys that have won a cup, you got your Bogosian and Campbell and, and uh, is there another guy? Uh, uh, on... No, I, I think maybe that's good. <coughs> who, who did I miss? See, these guys have learned, you know, uh, when they Muzzin. won. Muzzin. Oh, Muzzin, right. Yeah. yeah, these guys, they they learned how to win. Yeah. When when they when they won, right? Yeah. I got the opportunity when I went to Montreal and I watched guys like Guy Carbona who had already won before. Wow, did I ever learn a lot? And they they taught you how to win at that level, and that's that's the difference. That that would have been the you know the difference between playing for Toronto back then and Montreal back then. You know, we yeah. had Serge Savard was our GM and he was very uh, interactive with the guys. And you could always see him um, conversing uh, positively with, with Jacques Lemaire, the coach. And we also had in the background Jacques Lemaire. And, you know, these are guys that you learn how to, how to win from because you're good enough as, a, as, a, as an amateur to, to make your team win. But now you're playing in a league where every team is filled with those guys. So now it, it's a new... You know, it's a new level. So, well, yeah, that's I mean, if, if you've got if, if you've got a resource like Jacques Lemaire and Serge Savard, I mean, uh, whew, that is impressive. It really is. And, and you know, Guy, Guy Carbono is, I think, the most underrated offensive guy. You know, he's he's so he was so great uh, defensively, positionally, defensively. Yeah. But his his um, his offense is 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 under the radar he was very 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 skilled and very good offensively but you know he learned this stuff from bob gainey who probably learned it from jacques lemaire and so on and that's what you need you need you need to build you know uh, a culture in a uh in a winning way and they had it i don't want to put you on the spot but this this leafs team is is very very good the power play is, ooh, it's, it's tough. It's a tough view. What are they, what, I mean, what's the missing link there? Well, I think teams have probably figured out what they want to do, you know? Yeah. So it, it's just like anything. It's like how the game's evolved. Uh, you know, the game got faster. So, you, and, and with the sticks now, guys can shoot quicker. So how do you defend against that? Right. You can, you can score from the blue line with a, with a, with a, a, you know, a flick shot because the yeah. sticks are so good. So you have to learn to, to um, you have to learn to play against that. So how do you do that? You clog up the middle of the ice, you close the gaps. And, and so it's the same thing on a power play. You see a successful power play and, and, you know, with video, you look at it and you go, okay, what are these guys doing? You know, they, they, they want to get this guy, the puck, or this guy's the, the engine or, you know, so you learn to defend against that. And they still haven't done that. I, I'm shocked that they still haven't uh, figured out Matthews and Marner where, and maybe that'll be different in the playoffs where, you know, you, you, you probably need to play a little bit more physical with those guys, even when yeah. you're, you're killing, you're killing a penalty. But so, you know, they've, you can tell that they work a lot on their power play. They have in the past, they've got set plays. They have really good plays. They move the puck brilliantly, uh, as good as any team I've seen. Um, but you remember that you've, they've done this for a couple of years now and the teams now know what they're going to do. So they can learn to defend against that because that's, you know, that's going to be the difference. So uh, and then it'll be interesting to see in the playoffs whether they step it up, uh, whether they can step the power play up or not, because the game's going to be a little bit different, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I would say that they've they've just learned uh, to to defend against them being being so uh, dominating against. You know, you have to do something against something that that's that good. Yeah, uh, it's a final thought. I mean, when you watch a game now and you see the guy go back to the bench and he, he goes and gets the tablet and watch, watches the play that just happened, that is, yeah. that is great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't believe it. Like, you know, we, 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 we weren't allowed to, like, 
look around never mind <laughs> you know look at an ipad or whatever yeah. on a bench but yeah it, it it does show you how how uh advanced uh systems are and um you know uh most of the time you shouldn't have to look at it you should know exactly what happened but um <clears throat> those are the guys you want out there i think the guys that don't need to look at the tablet yeah. if you're looking at the tablet it's like uh maybe you know uh emphasis on something you did wrong obviously but yeah. um, to have that technology is unbelievable the technology all around is amazing like i said the sticks uh, have made the game i believe the sticks have made the game as fast as it is now yeah uh, because you know as you can do it's just so much more with them you can shoot way better um getting a you know getting a dozen sticks from the manufacturer they're all going to be identical whereas in in our day we had the torches and the rasps going <laughs> different weights uh oh yeah it was the dyes were a little bit uh, archaic back back in the 80s but uh I, uh, one of my trainers told me I went through 43 dozen sticks one year. Oh. And, and this is when I was, you know, one of the go-to guys. So I didn't give a crap if I sent the sticks back. So I didn't go through them playing, but I, I sent, that's how many I, I had sent to me. I would get probably between one and four in each dozen that I thought were, were okay. Wow. And the rest would go to Doug Laurie Sports. Wow. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a lot of tomato plants. Because they were wood, you could just cut them off and use them for steaks. <laughs> right, right. Lots of tomatoes around. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Gary, thanks very much. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Good chat with you, Jim. Last minute of play in this podcast. And there is the time warning from our PA announcer, Mike Ross. Thank you very much, Rossi. You're doing a fine job. Now, time for the Yes Guy Awards, and some of this is repetitive, but I don't think you can blame me. Austin Matthews, 40 goals in 49 games, 67-goal pace on a regular season. That is an emphatic, can I hear it? Yes Guy! Mitch Marner is 19th in the season. This goal happens in the first period. He dipsy-doodled through everybody. Oh, Mitch Marner is a Yes Guy. By the way, he has 47 assists. The power play. Oh, oh, no, guy. This is something. I don't know what the solution is here, but it's a problem. They had a five on three. They should. This is at the end of the game. They're already up, what, 5-2? And this is, this is extra time. This is bonus time. And they didn't do anything with it. Oh, no, guy. And the final Yes Guy award goes to... 4-0 Leafs lead, they win 5-2. Look, in the past, last year, the year before, the year before, the year before that, that 4-0 lead dissipates. It is disaster. On Thursday night, it was a 5-2 win. That is an emphatic, a relieved yes guy. Hope you enjoyed episode 34 of Leafs Guy, and hope you come back for episode 35 on Tuesday.